0: Chapter 3 and verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desired a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patience, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruled well his own house, having his children in subjection. With all gravity, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, to desire the office of a bishop is indeed a good thing. Any man who seeks this office seeks a good work. The word bishop means an overseer, a superintendent. In the early church, the pastor was called by several different titles. Number one, he was called a bishop or an overseer. Number two, he was called an elder. Number three, he was called a pastor or shepherd. I believe that the terms elder, bishop refer to the same person. The grounds for that identification are, number one, elders were appointed everywhere. After the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in all the churches they had founded. And we see reference to this in, in the book of Acts, chapter uh, 14 and verse 23. Paul instructed Titus to appoint and ordain elders in all the cities of Crete. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, when Paul was on his last journey, To Jerusalem, he sent for the elders of Ephesus to meet him at Miletus. Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9 clearly shows that the terms elder and bishop refer to the same person. The word elder refers to the individual and he was to be a mature person physically and spiritually. A bishop was an overseer. He ruled He ruled the church. Therefore, this word has reference to the office. And he gives the qualifications for the office of a bishop. Look at his list. Number one, he, he must be blameless. In other words, he must live a life that is above reproach. Number two, the husband of one wife. Now, polygamy was very prevalent during the days of Paul. So Paul says that he must Only be the husband of one wife at a time. A man could not be married to two or more wives at the same time and hold the office of a bishop. All right. Number three, he must be vigilant, which means temperate, self control, knows how to keep his cool. Number four, he must be sober, which means he must mean business. He is to be serious about the office which he holds. Number five, he must be of good behavior. In other words, a bishop or elder should be orderly in his conduct. He is not to do questionable things. His conduct is to be above reproach. Number six, he must be given to hospitality. He must be a hospitable individual, a giver. Number seven, he must be apt to teach. Listen, no man should even consider the office of a bishop if he cannot adequately teach the word of God. He must be skilled in the word of God. Number eight, not given to wine. In other words, not a drunkard. Number nine, no striker. He is not to be violent. Number ten, not greedy of fil- filthy lucre. He should not have a love for money. For the love of money is the root of all evil Number eleven, he must be patient reasonable someone you can talk to or reason with number 12 not a brawler he should not be a contentious person a man who constantly stir up trouble in a church should never be selected as a bishop number 13 not covetous he should not be a man who puts the pursuit of wealth above everything else Number fourteen One that ruleth his ruled well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Listen, an elder or bishop should have a relationship with his wife like Jesus has with, with us, the church. And he is to have obedient, disciplined children that represent him well. Because if he doesn't have his home in harmony, how can he take care of the church of God? Listen, if a pastor house ain't right, the church is not going to be right. A church will go no further than its leader. That is why Paul gives utmost importance in selecting men for leadership. Number 15, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Not a novice means not a recent convert, not someone who has recently been saved. Listen, the cause of Christ is hurt when those who are young in the faith attempt to speak or preach or teach on matters of doctrine about which they are not knowledgeable. Again, a bishop must be one who is skilled in the word of God. All right? Then he says, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Listen, pride was the devil's great sin. Also, it is often the sin of preachers and officers in the church. So in light of this, a recent convert as a pastor would be a major mistake. It would not be a wise decision. Number 16, he must have a good report of them which are without. This is so vital. He must have a good report of them which are without. In other words, he must possess a good all-around reputation outside of the church. Verse number eight. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy or filthy lucrous, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Now here, Paul gives the qualifications of a deacon. Number one, he must be grave. In other words, he must be a man of dignity. Number two, not double-tongued. In other words, a deacon cannot be two-faced. He is not to speak with two voices, saying one thing to, to one and another to another. He is not to speak out of both sides of his mouth. Number three, not given too much wine. In other words, there is to be no alcoholic deacons in the church. Just that simple. Number four, not greedy or filthy lucreous. This means he cannot love money. He is to be a man of integrity, one who handles the money of the church in an honest way. There is nothing that can hurt a church more than the accusation that the deacons are playing with or messing with or dipping their hands or mishandling the church finances. Money given to a church for a specific cause needs to be carefully allotted to the intended cause. Or let me say that again. Money given to a church for a specific cause needs to be carefully allotted to the intended cause. Number five, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The mystery of the faith means the revelation of the gospel of Christ. He speaks of it as a mystery because these doctrines were not revealed in the Old Testament, but are now revealed in the New Testament. The faith is the apostle's doctrine. Listen, a deacon must be one who's, who is steadfast in the apostle's doctrine in a, or with a pure conscience. Number six, let them also be first proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Listen, a man should not be... Uh, quickly shoved into the office of a deacon. He must prove that he is the type of man that Scripture has described here. He must meet these requirements first. Placing a man in the office of a deacon should not be done uh, because of friendship. It should be done solely on them meeting the requirements according to Scripture. Alright, verse number 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Listen, the deacon's wife must be a woman of dignity, not a gossiper. She must be self-disciplined and faithful in all things. She is to be faithful to Christ and his cause and to her husband. Alright, look at verse 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, the deacons ought to meet, in other words, the same personal and family requirements that that were given for the elders. The office of a deacon is serious and it should be taken seriously. The spiritual requirements should be met by both elders and deacons before they are allowed to represent the church of Christ. The spiritual requirements should be met by both elders and deacons before they are allowed to represent the church of Christ. Then he says that for every deacon who have represented this office well have produced a good name, a good reputation, and their lives are a great witness in the faith. Look at verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou art to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Now, Paul was in Macedonia and Timothy was in Ephesus. Paul was hoping to join Timothy shortly. But he says, if it is a long time before I come if my if my time is prolonged i have written this letter which give details on how to behave yourself Timothy how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God and the house of God is the church of the living god paul is speaking to the church that is the pillar and ground of the truth pillar means to stay the prop or that which is foundational. What Paul is saying is that the church is the pillar. It is the prop and support of the truth. If the officers do not represent the truth, the church has no foundation. It has no prop and it cannot hold up the truth of God. All right. Verse 16. And without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now, Paul says here, without a doubt, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, what is the mystery of godliness? The mystery of godliness is that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, entered this world in which we live. And manifested himself in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was manifested in the flesh. And that is how the world saw him. But he was justified or vindicated in the spirit in his resurrection. There were times when his glory broke out here on earth. His glory was his glory was seen at his baptism, at his transfiguration, and at the time of his arrest. The things that occurred at the time of his crucifixion caused the watching centurion to say truly this was the son of god but it was when he came back from the dead that we see him now justified he was manifested in the flesh but justified in the spirit sown a natural body raised a spiritual body Listen, no enemy laid a hand upon him after he was raised from the dead. He rose with all power in his hands. Paul says that he was seen of angels. The angels watched him go back to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And all the created intelligence of heaven worshipped, worshipped him because he wrought redemption for mankind. Then Paul says that he was to preach unto the Gentiles. Paul was the chief apostle sent by God to preach Jesus to the Gentiles. And we are still preaching Jesus to the Gentiles. Hallelujah. Then Paul says that he was believed on and he was received up into glory. Declaring the truth. We are declaring the truth. in the truth.